I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Sider Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next, uh, we're going to do about an hour and 15 minutes tonight. I want to say hello to everyone uh, in South Florida. That's where uh, the majority of our listeners are. We've got a couple in the Midwest, a couple overseas. Uh, the numbers in terms of listeners each week is, is increasing as of the past month, so I assume that all of you are starting to uh, renew your interest in football for the year. I know I have. Uh, as of probably within the last 10 days, I'm really actually starting to feel some excitement for the upcoming season. So uh, the doldrums are almost uh, almost clear, and we got training camp coming up here and then preseason. And uh, before long, we're going to be uh, head first in the, into the 2015 NFL season. As always, I'm flanked by my uh, good friend and co-host, Duke. What's going on? I don't know. Hold on, man. Well said. I agree. Uh, we're going to be joined in a minute by Lewis, and I've decided that uh, as of right now, and uh, 
he will heretofore be known as Angry Lewis. He's upset about something, and he wants to he wants to rant. And what better place to do that than right here? So we'll bring him on uh, momentarily. Uh, I hate to call it t- call attention to shenanigans that go on on Twitter, but I saw within probably the last hour and a half that uh, Chris Mc- Chris McCain was right on the the cusp of unloading on our favorite beat writer on Twitter, and then it just went kaput like nothing happened. I mean, did you see this? Uh, I, I saw a little bit of the aftermath of it. Um, I caught it after you guys saw so I was kind of scrolling down, and I saw your response and some others, but I, I, I did see the uh, the original the original uh, tweet and uh, or McCain, and so um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean. I mean, he's pretty vocal on Twitter and stuff, and I mean, a lot of fans are. And he he takes to a lot of off football topics. Um, I know he got real big into the uh, that police brutality stuff that was going on uh, several months ago, and he's you know, talking about that. Um, but he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy I would want to start a beef with. No, he's enormous. <clears throat> I'm incredibly scared of the man, and I've never even seen him in person. I big mean, words from a big he's, man. He's like nice to kids and stuff. I still walk around with games with, with kids, and uh, I was almost tempted to take one of, one of my kids to the preseason game in hopes that he might see them and <laughs> take them out in the, on the field. But uh, obviously, I'm not going to do that. But the um, seems nice like that. But he seems to have that kind of like, yeah, you're going to start something with this guy. He's going to finish it. So. Well, regardless of who he's going after on Twitter, I like the the overall attitude that these guys have an have an almost us against everyone mentality. That's something I really like to see coming into the season. So, um, regardless of who he's who he's going after or uh, taking exception to on Twitter, that part of it, I mean, it's it's mildly amusing to me. I'm I'm not going to lie, but at the same time, I I just like the I, I wouldn't say defensive approach, but these guys, you know, they're wearing it on their sleeve this year. They feel they have something to prove. Uh, they've got some some serious talent in the bag now. Uh, I imagine that if I had Indomitian Sue joining the fold, I'd probably be uh, looking to to really put my uh, my money where my mouth is. So I like it. I really like everything that this defense has done. I like the way they're they're uh, conducting themselves going into the season, and I hope it continues. I mean, they got a lot to be confident about. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I want them to have the, uh, that nobody believes in us mentality that Bill Simmons always wrote about, uh, except there's yeah. a lot of people that do believe in them, so I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, they seem to have a little bit of an edge, kind of like, uh, just, just go ahead, sleep on us, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you. Yeah, well, I mean, these guys had to spend – I mean, since the middle of March, all they've heard is that, I mean, Indomitian Sue is joining a, a team of relative nobodies, and he's going to have to carry everyone, and it's not going to be enough and everything. So, I mean, these guys should feel uh, a little bit peeved coming up here, and I hope it continues. I mean, I like it. I mean, there's some serious talent this team has on the defensive side of the football. they got a lot to prove, in my opinion, in the secondary, and I think that the, the way things are shaping up, uh, we can see some big things there. I mean, you hope so, and if they're going to be competitive – for the playoffs and possibly beyond, they're going to need it. I don't think you can you can go through an NFL season now and with a lackluster secondary and 
expect to have any sort of sustained success, especially postseason success. So, uh, well, two things happened there. Well, I mean, one of two things. Either the the conversation just went kaput, and there was no no response, and it ends right there. Or it went to. I saw a lot of people saying they thought it went to direct message. Uh, I mean, I, I, both are both prevailing theories are are fine. Um, honestly, I mean, it's just I because I. I, cause I uh, I got on uh, online finally this afternoon and checked it out, and I was like, wow, where did this come from? Yeah, I, I saw somebody, I, I saw there was one theory that it wasn't a hostile response that came, that it wasn't hostile. And I actually thought it was, I mean, I wouldn't, I think hostile is probably a little bit over the top, but I do think that, uh, I, I don't think it was the friendliest friendliest tweet ever, ever uh, sent out. Yeah, it seems. I mean, hostile is probably a little a little over the top. It's, I don't think it's necessarily the proper descriptor for it. I, I, aggressive, maybe, or just or, or, or confrontational. It didn't seem like a simple question. It's like, are you doubting me? Are you doubting us? You know, are, are you? You know, what do you expect from us? Kind of stuff. It, it did have. It, it seemed like it kind of had that edge and. I think most people kind of took it that way because of uh, simply because of the way McKinley is on Twitter. He seems to he doesn't seem to back down from from stuff regardless of what you're talking about. So he 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 doesn't seem to have this kind of no I'm just playing mentality when he gets on there. He seems to be pretty straightforward, and even if you don't like his opinion, and he'll admit you know well my opinion was wrong or maybe maybe I approached it the wrong way. He just doesn't seem like the kind of be like no this is all cool when he says something like that. He seems to kind of like yeah this is legitimate. I'm, I want to know. I want to hear your response, not necessarily to start a situation, but basically kind of like all right you're putting this stuff out here. Give me something. Tell me, tell me why I'm not going to succeed, kind of stuff. And so, um, well, you don't I, you don't I, act that way unless you feel like you're a part of the team and you feel like you're you're a part of a, a unit that has something to prove. So I'm a, I'm all in on it. Yeah, and, and I, you know uh, I've seen some, some people tweet about you know <clears throat> maybe fans kind of slow down on McCain a little bit. They are kind of putting the crown on him, so to speak. Uh, before he's, you know, been a starter, played significant minutes, but I, I don't think it's that. To me, at least, it's not that so much. It's just, you know, the expectations. We've seen, we've seen the flashes, and it's not like he's flashed once every four games. I mean, he didn't play much, but we've seen the flashes. I, I remember last preseason. Uh, I think it was the Rams. And uh, it was he and Deion Jordan just kind of converged on the quarterback. Like, they just couldn't block him at all. And I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, this guy might have something. And, of course, you know, he had the blocked pun and then the sack in the, in, against the Patriots. And he's kind of like, yeah, this guy's got something. And then he disappeared. So I, I think fans are just excited about about the potential. And um, I was uh, – there was a post on the site today about people who are free agents going into this uh, next offseason. And, you know, Olivier Vernon's one of the big names. And, you know, it's possible with a good season he could uh, approach like 30 career stacks, some ridiculous number in his first four years. And he, um, 
he's going to probably command a lot of money. And I don't know if Miami's going to have the money to pay him. So I don't know necessarily if they want to pay him that kind of money for what role he has. And there's a, you know, yeah. he, he moves inside a lot. He plays a lot of those roles. But one of the key guys that can play a factor into that is Chris McCain because he does have edge rush ability. And if he can show that he can be a hand-on-the-ground edge rusher, he might replace Vernon next offseason, have a cheaper option. That's something to kind of look for this season, I think. So there's a lot of stake here with the way McCain plays, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, given the additions this year, I'd say the, the path is paved for him to do some pretty impressive things, and that's a storyline uh, regarding Olivier Vernon that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to do the whole spiel before we bring on Angry Lewis. Uh, our guest call-in, 347-326-9461. We'd love to hear from you. We already have a caller. Uh, if you can just sit tight if you're listening, uh, just give us a give us a minute here just because we're falling behind a little bit. Uh, I want to go ahead and uh, bring on our uh, our good friend, uh, Kyle League, uh, guest co-host from uh, time to time. And uh, Lewis, why so serious? <sighs> it, it's been a very long day, and it's been a very long few past days since I, um, uh, since I took over the website. So uh, let's just say I'm very stressed, and I have a very short trigger for I, I have very low tolerance for stupidity, and I've been dealing with a lot of stupidity for the past couple of days from many different people on Twitter. So I'm, we're I'm, all, I need we're all to let it all out. Well, I need to let it all out. Don't let us get in your way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, you, you just, just. I'm sorry. You say, do you need to do it in one lump sum, or do you want to go ahead and uh, pace yourself here? You sound like you no, might I'll actually bet. I'll pace myself. I need to save some anger for later on so people don't get bored with me. Okay, we'll let you, we'll let you go ahead and uh, complete stage one, and then we'll bring on our first call. So uh, what's troubling you, Lewis, please? What's on your mind? Okay, well, first thing I'm going to say is um, you were talking about the Omar McCain thing. I sent you a, a private uh, tweet just a minute ago that uh, they actually did respond. I just now saw it. They responded. Omar finally came out and said that, he feels that the Dolphins, he told McCain this on, in public, finally, so it didn't go to DMs. He was just not answering. He said that the Dolphins are, in his mind, the Dolphins are eight and nine wins, or just maybe ten if everybody stays healthy. So, essentially, he's saying, sorry, Chris, you guys suck no matter what you do. So, McCain answers back, I think we're better than that. We almost beat the Denver Broncos. We almost beat the Packers. We almost beat the Lions up until the last second, which, again, is true. And I wish people would remember that. It's like we didn't get beat down by Green Bay and Denver and Detroit. We beat, we almost got there, and it fell apart at the last possible second. <clears throat> like, not even like they made a comeback and we had 10 minutes to come back. They, we had it right until the last second, and that's why I felt the heartbreak coming when Denver happened because I knew it was going to happen. It hurt so much. So, and now I'm going to, I'm just not thinking this whole thing right now. So this Omar comes back and says that if you got more dogs, whatever the heck that means, more, a better O-line and a quarterback that takes it to the next level, then we can talk about maybe 10 wins. And all I can think to myself is, so essentially what you have done, Omar, is you have condemned the Dolphins to eternal purgatory because... Your boys are not on the team anymore. 
I guarantee you this, and everybody who's listening will probably agree with me. If Mike Wallace were still on the football team, he would be seeing a completely different tune. I'm almost positive of that. He would not, he would be saying how the Dolphins are finally competitors. They have an offense that's dangerous, makes Tannehill every makes Tannehill better. It's like yeah, all that wonderful stuff that has that happens when he has his guy in the locker room. So with that said, I just want to make a point here and say that you people his idea of average is severely messed up because like McCain made this point. We would we could have very easily been eleven and five last year, and we almost were, except for last second against Green Bay, where Philip Wheeler had no business being in coverage, but he was anyway. We had literally one second away from beating Detroit, but then Stafford threw the absolute perfect pass and the perfect catch, and everything was just perfect, and there was nothing you could do about it. So yeah, that makes it now bad. That's worse. And then we fell apart at Denver, and Tannehill threw what six, four, four or five touchdowns or something. I don't even remember, but it was a lot. So that performance wasn't enough. It somehow is Tannehill's fault. Somehow it's the Dolphins being average again. If you want to make the criticism that the Dolphins fall apart in the fourth quarter, I will accept that. I can accept that criticism. It's true. The Dolphins seem to fall apart when the final seconds are coming. I get that. But to flat out say they're an average team because we're playing the results once again, it, it, it just it grates on my nerves like you wouldn't believe. It's like getting a nail file and scratching it against my skull. I can't take it. It's terrible. You, people are so spot. stupid. Huh? Uh, well, no, keep, keep going, please. You're rolling. <laughs> No, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead, respond. I, I, need, a, I need a minute to catch my break anyway. Just, oof, okay. okay, well, the, the, I'll wait for the next all right, one. Wow. wow, you need to start drinking heavily. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'll just offer a quick, a quick thought on that, and then we're going to go to our first caller, and we'll, we'll revisit this over the night. Uh, if you're uh, – some people – I mean, the, the term hater is used often uh, in, in today's – Today's society, especially on Twitter, so on and so forth. The as of right now, the Dolphins' most visible beat writer is a hater. He's not a Dolphins fan. He admits as much. So these people who are who are waiting for him to sing a different tune on the Dolphins and come around to Ryan Tannehill, it's never going to happen. He's never going to give you the satisfaction. And I mean, and it's he's pretty much said as much. He doesn't care about the team the way you do. And it's it's my only issue with him. I couldn't give a sweet rat's ass about what that guy has to say about the Dolphins, except for the fact that I don't understand. I've never seen a beat writer anywhere. And if somebody has an example of this, please call in, send it to me, just bring it to my attention somehow. I have never seen a beat writer uh, in in the sport dog out a starting quarterback who has done nothing to draw that ire. I mean, I just, I haven't seen it. I mean, you think that this guy is, uh, you think that Ryan Tannehill is an undeserving curmudgeon and a bad person. And this is not the case. The guy clearly works his ass off. I mean, he's out there. He wanted to make it work with Mike Wallace. And I've talked about this before, that it should be the receivers wanting to make it work for the quarterback, not the other way around. It doesn't work the other way around. Joe Montana wasn't trying to 
oh, I've got to hit Jerry Rice on this or he's going to be upset. No, the hell with that. Everyone's out there making money for number 16, just like everyone on the Dolphins now is out there ready to make money for number 17. Okay, so, and you've seen it as much. I saw an interview with Greg Jennings the other day. He said, we just got to do everything in our power to just make plays for our quarterback. What a novel concept. Where did they find these guys, these forward-thinking, these incredibly progressive athletes? The thing is, and this is why Brandon Marshall was shipped out, in my opinion. This is why that this team has really skirted early in Ryan Tannehill's career and in his development, and most people would, would agree that he was a very raw product when he came out of Texas A&M. There was like, going to be a lot of development, a lot of heartache involved, but the juice was worth the squeeze. This is why the Dolphins have tried to keep Grant Tannehill away from these quarterback killers. Okay. And now you're seeing the crew in there. Jarvis Landry wants to make things work for Ryan Tannehill. He will run himself into the ground to make it happen. Kenny Stills, I've seen the same thing. That guy is just absolute, just bare bones, let's get down to business. They brought in Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker is like, man, just go ahead and just get me the ball. Just throw that ball up there and let me do work for you. These guys want to go to work for the guy because for the guy who's putting the ball in their hand because what is a receiver without a quarterback getting the ball in their hands? Nothing. They're a decoy. And Mike Wallace didn't understand that. And if, if no, we'll just say the same. If that's something that is so important to Omar, he can go become a Vikings fan. I can assure you living up in an area where there are a lot of Vikings fans, that media in Minneapolis would eat that guy alive. He wouldn't last 15 minutes up there. The, the fact that he's lasted as long as he has in South Florida is really, a, in my opinion, a mixture of indifference and apathy because he just sits there and insults the team. And the scary thing is a lot of people agree with it. I don't understand why, but that's just the case. So uh, if you're waiting for him to give you that satisfaction, uh, you're, you're never going to get it. it. It just won't happen. You're absolutely wasting your time, and you should really just find something else to do. Now, if uh, there were actual people, if there were actual people coming out that knew something about the Dolphins that were that were linked up with this team historically, coming out and saying that there are issues with this guy, I think you'd be able to put better stock in it because a lot of people had those expectations, and we've seen that happen. I remember uh, Kuchenberg in the 2006 season calling the Dolphins a disgrace, and Jason Taylor got pissed. I don't know if you guys remember that, but so I mean, this is a. Uh, this is a brotherhood and a legacy down in South Florida that isn't afraid to call it the way they see it. So when, when they pipe up and say it's not good enough, okay. But in the meantime, if it's Shun Sentinel coming out and saying something about it, uh, wake me when it's over because I don't really care. Uh, we'll revisit that. Uh, we just lost Duke. He, he'll call back in a moment. Uh, we're going to go to our first call, and I, I believe that um, we're going to Orlando. So, Orlando, you're on the air. Hey, is this me? Ah, how you doing? Doing all What's right. What's up, buddy? It's been... What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, we keep missing each other. Uh, every time I log in, to, I tend to miss the show by this much. But... um. I agree with you wholeheartedly about the whole thing. Um, now, first off, and I don't even give him a name. I just call him the prostate predator because to me, oh. it just makes <laughs> Oh, my God. 
the wow. braids and the way he makes a butt out of himself, that's exactly what he is to me. But for me, it's like the team wasn't built his way. So, of course, he's going to diss it every single time. Every single time. Because, you know what, he wanted Manziel. He wanted this person. He wanted that person. And everybody just basically made him look like a fool. Because they don't build the team his way and give him credence to his thoughts. The only person, and the reason why I think his downfall is soon to come, is because, you know what, if two or three of our corners um, make it this year, I don't see Grimes in South Florida next. They have to get rid of some salary cap. And to be honest with you, there's just way too much youth there to sit there and look at Grimes. So the day that Miko breaks his heart, because I really don't see her eloping because her husband still makes $9, $10 million a year. So. <laughs> prostate predator does is like feed her ego. Oh, you, oh, you went there. Oh, man, that's brutal. And that's all I see. So when he leaves Miami, it's literally going to break the prostate predator. Like I said, I won't, I won't say his name. But that's, that's fine. I'm I have, have no words for that. I'm, I'm going to wait know. here real quick because I don't, I don't have a lot that I want to say about it. Um, he's built up a reputation as someone who watches film, who studies the game, who has this inside knowledge. Yet every time he opens his mouth, he proves that wrong. We spent the whole podcast last week discussing that. The credibility when he went after Marino for with with the stupid same stupid arguments he uses for Tannehill, passer rating wins, all this other garbage, the credibility was shot. It, it's gone. So if people pay attention to what he says, take what he says with a grain of, with any kind of grain of salt, it's their own fault. It, it tells me that if they're following that person, they truly don't understand the game. Now, there are people out there on our site that will disagree or discuss topics about Tannehill, Mike Wallace, whoever. I will trust their opinion because I believe they've watched, they pay attention to the team. And they have, even if I don't agree with them, I would trust their insight. Like, like he mentioned, I think this is just agenda-driven, every bit of it. But to sum it all up, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase what our, what our boy Oscar Hazel from London said about it. Ride or don't ride, but don't complain about it if you ride. And that's, that, he used a different four-letter word, but <clears throat> what, what that means is, if you're on his timeline, if you're listening to this stuff, don't complain or fuss about it because you choose to do that. Now, I think it's kind of become a kind of a, a uh, I don't know what the word is off the top of my head, but if you're not blocked and then you're not a true Dolphin fan or whatever, I don't know. Some people still like to keep up with it because it's, uh, you know, comedy or whatever else. But I'm blocked. I don't get to see the stuff, and I'm glad for that. I'm not writing. So I'm not going to complain when I hear stuff or read stuff just because I, I, I know the source is garbage to begin with. There's no credibility there. So for me, you know, it, it's let him say what he wants to say. Let him let him do what he wants to do. 
I think most people now are kind of getting to the point, especially after the events of last week. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, I see where all these other fans have been talking about it. Now I kind of understand. And the voice is still going to be there, but nobody's listening now. It's just, it's just noise in the wind. The problem is that we've already talked too much about it, really. I mean, like, it's something that last week we spent a lot of time talking about, it, but the reason we mentioned that on our last episode uh, last Thursday was that, you know, it's easy for us to assume that other a lot of our listeners have been watching the game for as long as we had or even longer. The reality of it is um, we're now reaching an age where, you know, we've got a lot of people who didn't start watching the game until after Dan Reno retired uh, in early 2000s. So, I mean, they're, it's it's like hearing about Babe Ruth playing baseball or something. That's, I mean, like you have no idea what it looked like for the most part. So all you have is the word of those who have passed it down. And I'm fearful that when you go ahead and pass down ridiculous stuff about Dan Reno, people start to, to buy that if they don't know any better. And that's dangerous. That can't happen. Because I, uh, I mean, he was drafted before I was born. But, I mean, his prime was when I started watching the game. And I'm forever thankful that I had an opportunity to watch him play. No, he didn't win the Super Bowl. And yeah, the Dolphins let him down with, you know, uh, countless terrible draft picks. Uh, the fact that they could never get uh, all three phases of the game in order during his time in South Florida. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, and, and it hurts because he deserved better. And I mean, when you watch that L.A. to Marino thing, or if you've ever watched a lot of the uh, those uh, those panel shows that they have on NFL Network, they always talk about the fact that uh, Art Rooney really, really wanted to take Dan Marino. And then uh, Chuck Knoll had last word on it and decided that he wanted to move forward with Gabe Rivera. Uh, and that's something that killed Art Rooney. He just, uh, you know, up until the day he died, it was just, you should have taken, you should have taken Marino, you know, the hometown kid. And I can only imagine what Dan Marino would have done with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because I think that team would have had the wherewithal and would have had the the sheer good sense to go ahead and build the team around him. Just, I mean, uh, scrap a lot of things. How do you want to do this offense? You're the system. We talked about Bill Walsh's quote last week. He is the system. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm forever, I, again, I'm forever grateful he played for the Dolphins. You know, I wouldn't have been a fan of his if he, if he played the Steelers. I certainly would have admired him as a kid just because, I mean, the sheer talent. I don't know how you could – you could go unimpressed by the stuff that Dan did on the football field. And if you want to go ahead and erase the fact that he threw a lot of interceptions, then you've got to use that with Brett Favre too. But one thing, and then I want to go ahead and move on because we're guilty here of just bringing fanfare and attention to this. I mean, the reason people on the internet and people in media say ridiculous things is so that people like us and people in the public will talk about it. I mean, and we called it clickbait last week, and that's really what it is. Uh, if you ignore it, that, that's how you make it go away. But I will just say that if you're, um, you go ahead and you look at Dan Marino's career, it was incredible. You know, even to, up until the bitter end, losing 62-7 to in Jacksonville, which was a horrible way to go out. It was a great ride. And there's a lot of really talented people out there who report on the Dolphins. Pay attention to them. Pay, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Pay attention to Armando. He says ridiculous things. And, I mean, he hasn't always been a, a Tannehill supporter. I mean, he'll come out and he'll say things against him, and that's fine. You're a beat writer. I don't – I mean, you're not working for Dolphins Digest. 
I don't think you're one of those guys who works for the site who's going to tell me that every selection is incredible. I mean, I, yeah, I want the truth, but I don't want to be in a position where everything, it's never going to be good enough what this guy does. If Ryan Tannehill gets his team uh, in, into perennial playoff contender shape, then I don't understand how you can go ahead and speak out against them. And if you use the deep ball thing and the fact he wasn't able to connect with Mike Wallace, then you're just missing the point, and you don't get it, and you're never going to get it. And then you, you deserve to follow that timeline because, honestly, that's, that's where the extent of your football knowledge would, will go. And I don't mean to say that in a condescending, a condescending tone or um, a form, but that's really it. I mean, open your ears, open your eyes, watch this team. This is Ryan Tannehill's team. That extension they gave him solidifies the fact that you have a franchise quarterback in South Florida. This is his team. You can either like it or you can go find a new team or you can simply bide your time until he's not on the team anymore. And then if it doesn't work out, you can be one of those who said, I told you so. And I, very few people will care, but it, you'll be able to sleep at night with that knowledge. And you know, hit on, hit on, hit on one point or two points. Well, you, you hit on one point that Lewis was talking about. As you mentioned that you believe that Pittsburgh Steelers would have had the wherewithal to build around Dan Marino. Look at what our current front office is doing. Look how they're building around Ryan Tannehill. Look at what they've done this offseason. <clears throat> you know, there's still some questions about the offensive line. And, yeah, that's one thing. But <clears throat> look at who they brought in. They, they brought in Jarvis Landry. Who they, you know, he was not a mini draft. They brought in the 2014 draft. Yeah. I mean, they brought in these guys. Lewis mentioned it. Look at the, the Denver game. <clears throat> The Miami Dolphins, there was only three teams that scored more than 24 points against the, uh, the, the Broncos last year. The Patriots, the Bengals, and the Dolphins. The Patriots and the Bengals played Denver at their place. Miami went into Denver and put up 36 points. <clears throat> Andrew Luck, he went into Denver, put up 24 points. Three or four months of yards, had two interceptions, two touchdowns. Tom Hill went in and led the team to 36 points. You could put 36 points on just about any team in the league, you're going to win. You're going to win going away. He shouldn't have had to play the fourth quarter. I mean, you saw what happened in San Diego and against the, and against the Raiders. <clears throat> what happens? The defense gives up 39 points. All right? Same thing at the end of the Packers game. There was a whole queasy moment where they uh, decided not to throw the ball. I believe, I believe it was Chris McCain. They interviewed him after the game, and he said, yeah, we all thought Tannehill was going to throw to get the first down. They they weren't going to hand off. Um, same thing with the Detroit game. There was a drops touchdown. Tannehill, under lots of pressure, rolls out, hits Charles Clay around the breadbasket. He should have caught it. The defender got his hand in there a little bit. Anyway, that those are things that change the complexion of those games. So what do they do? They're going out and got better pass catchers. They've gone out and tried to improve the defense by finding best free agent pick defensive player you could find. Uh, you know, aside from maybe Revis, so they're doing this. I say we realized what the problem was, and it wasn't Ryan Tannehill. We're building around him, and you could argue that this front office is doing a better job of building around their franchise quarterback than the previous regimes did building around uh, Dan Marino. You know, a couple of things real quick. First off, there's a interesting. Um, take on um, 
the Miami Dolphins blog where um, Greasy talking about Tannehill, and the first thing he says um, about when Don Shula joined the Dolphins and so on and so forth, they said the first thing they did was they traded for Paul Warfield. And he knew right then and there that this team was special. People want to berate Tannehill. People want to berate Dan Marino, but they don't realize two things. They bring something special to the Dolphins. People look at the connection with Mike Mm -hmm. Wallace, and they don't see that despite a lack of communication between the two, Mike Wallace still had 10 touchdowns last year. Is that an indicator of his skill, or is that an indicator of Tannehill's ability to make things work? No one really knows. Here's another thing. He turned a rookie second-round pick into pretty much what we have today, Jarvis Landry. Not only that, but before that, he is the first one to come in and turn uh, Heartline into a thousand-dollar, ba- I mean, a thousand-yard back-to-back receiver. Sure, he didn't score very much, but before Tannehill, and they didn't even get any practice time together before the season started. This all came together. Next thing you know, two years back-to-back, thousand yards, thousand yards. If he didn't have to sit there and worry so much about Mike Wallace complaining about the ball. You never know. Hartline could have had a third 1,000-yard consecutive season. We had a chance, not last season, but the, the season before last, to go bigger than 8-8. Eight and eight. When did we falter? We faltered when Hartline went down. Hartline still had 1,000 yards. Mike Wallace became the number one. He was practically the only starting wide receiver on the team. He still, you know, that's when it became a problem. But here's the thing that people don't realize. Okay, Tannehill didn't have but, like, what, a season and a half of college starts? The very first season where he started the half season – he took that team to 26 in the nation in college football and kept them there. End of story. That's when he won the starting quarterback job the following year. After that is when he pretty much became the 19th ranked player in the draft, so on and so forth. People want to berate this guy for whatever, and you know I'm not even going to count the rankings because Okay, Andrew Luck, yeah, he's good, he's great, he's wonderful. But at the same time, if they felt like he didn't need any help, why did they raid the University of Miami alumni and get him a running back and get him, you know, one of the best wide receivers to still play the game? If he didn't need the help and if he didn't need all this, why are they on that team? Sure, he's done some great things, but so has Tannehill. He's won against um, uh, Manning Jr. not once, but twice. He's practically, in Mile High Stadium, you brought up a good point. It's hard to score 36 points in the Mile High Stadium, regardless of whether or not they have a defense because of the elevation. He did all this stuff. One thing I want to add to this is 
you know, we talk about the wide receivers and how they would run through walls. Well, let me point something out. Jordan Cameron. They did the little highlight video on on our blog. Every single time he caught a pass, and no wonder why he has so many concussions, he ended up having to do something with his head or flipping, landing on his neck, or running through and getting pounded in the head, doing this or doing that. That's another player right there that would run through a wall for Ryan Tannehill. Deion Sims, run through a wall for Ryan Tannehill. You know, so, I mean, all this, all this, you know, Ryan Tannehill needs a supporting cast. Oh, he will never be anything. You know, the prostrate predator talking about how with this quarterback and this team, we won't ever win. He doesn't know, man. He's taking last year's stats. He's taking the last coaching regime stats and placing them into history, into the present. You know, bottom line is they've done a lot more for this this quarterback this year than any other team in the NFL can say that they did for their quarterback. And I think that we legitimately are a 10-win team as long as, you know, people stay healthy. All I know is what I thought. Real quick, um, <clears throat> I put this up on a post. When it was talking about that ESPN poll about the quarterbacks and whatever. It was like, look at look at Joe Flacco. We'll get to that. Joe Flacco is uh, look at his numbers, career numbers, what he averages per season. If you if you just put the numbers up on the board between him and Tannehill, you wouldn't be able to really tell the two apart. Joe Flacco has had the worst. Uh, the worst defense he's ever had, uh, ranking-wise, was 17th. He's had, out of his seven years, he's had four top ten defenses. Three of those were top five defenses. He's had three out of his seven years. He's had three rushing attacks that were top ten. Two of those were top five rushing attacks. The one year, the one year Joe Flacco had a terrible rushing attack. It was 30th in the league. He had the 12th-ranked defense. He threw 19 touchdowns to 22 interceptions, had a terrible pass rating, his completion percentage was bad. It was the worst year of his career, and the team went 8-8. Eight eight. Tannehill's best team around him was last season. He had a 12th-ranked rushing offense. He had a 12th-best uh, defense. He's never had a supporting cast that other quarterbacks have, and that's what I don't understand all these people are talking about. Matt Ryan came into the league, same year as Joe Flacco. He already had Roddy White. They had uh, Michael Turner. They brought in Tony Gonzalez. I mean, they surrounded him with great players. Ten Hills were here. They brought in Legadino Nani. I mean, what do you expect to happen? Do you expect him to, you know, turn lead into gold and throw 40 touchdowns to people like Hartline and Legadino Nani? I mean, that doesn't happen. And people say, well, you know, yeah, like Paul said, he needs a lot of support. Well, I mean, look at look at the golden boy, Andrew Luck. Look at what they've surrounded him with. You know, at some point, people just need to, to stop talking and think about, you know, you know what, quarterbacks need help. I've said this numerous times. I did it all last season. Whenever the Dolphins weren't playing, if they had a late game or after the game, I was watching Red Zone Channel. I just watched the quarterbacks play. 
We've seen the highlight reels from Kenny Stills that I think James has touched up on the site. Watch Drew Brees throw a deep pass. He's on some good ones. Watch those ones that are underthrown. But Kenny Stills goes up and, and catches the ball, fights the cornerback for it. Oh, if he completed the pass, that's great. No. If Tannehill did that, oh, that was an underthrown ball. He should have thrown it in stride, blah, blah, blah. It's just garbage. And <laughs> I don't know. I just don't understand how people can sit there and say, well, Tannehill needs to make everybody around him so much better, you know, and then they've given him crap to work with, and he's done the best he could. And now when they put stuff around him, you know, I, I know what's going to happen. He's not going to get the credit he deserves. It's, it's just it's ridiculous. Let me let me uh, let me jump on that, Duke. Let me jump on that. I want. I want. No, 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 no. I want. No, 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 no. I need to go ahead and make this point real quick. And the thing is, is we're always going to come back to everyone. Always brings up the deep ball. All I know is what I saw, and what I saw is this. Whenever he was throwing the ball to Mike Wallace, he looked like he was on pins and needles. Every time I've watched him throw it deep to any other receiver that wasn't wearing the number 11 with Wallace on the back, it was grip it and rip it. It clearly was an issue for him. That issue is gone. So I really look forward to it. If, if that is a non-issue this year, and all of a sudden this team is making its deep plays, which I got news for all the people who are upset about the, the deep ball issue with Tannehill. If he ever leaves this, leads this team to uh, a Super Bowl victory, the Lombardi Trophy doesn't come with an asterisk on it if you didn't throw the deep ball well. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things if, you're, if your one receiver is an issue, but the fact is, is when he's throwing it deep to other people, it hasn't appeared to be an issue and the numbers support that. So at some point, people are going to have to let that go. And Angry Lewis, you can go ahead. I just, I really need to make that point that the only thing I see people really tee off on Ryan Tannehill at this point, because people can't bitch about the red zone efficiency anymore, because red zone efficiency was actually a, quite a strength for him last year. So at what point do we complain about? The fact that he's not completing these 50-yard passes to, to people 10-plus uh, times a game, and it's a huge issue. I don't get that. I don't understand the criticism. If that's all you can hang hang on at this point, I think things are going to be okay. So anyway, uh, Angry Lewis, please proceed. Well, I wasn't angry for a moment. I was just going to bring up how I'm, I was glad that Duke had brought up Andrew Luck because he brought up how he, the the Colts have brought up all these weapons around him. They brought him all these. They brought him a running back. They brought him one of the best wide receivers to still play the game. Thank you, Dolphins fan, for life for bringing that up. And, but this is the thing. Yes, they put help around Andrew Luck. But I have an issue with how they're treating Andrew Luck because you know what I'm seeing, guys? I'm Minus the running game because they've obviously made steps to do that. It kind of feels like the Colts are taking this Dan Marino-esque approach with their young quarterback because what is it that Luck is still missing? Even after all the weapons they did, after all the work they did, they, brought, they still got T.Y. Hilton. They brought in Dante Moncrief last year. They uh, drafted Philip Dorsett to help out there, too. They got in Frank Gore. They brought in Andre Johnson. Andrew Luck has wide receivers coming out of his ears, but he still doesn't have an offensive line. He still doesn't have a defense. So just for that point alone, I kind of feel sorry for Andrew Luck because they, I, I think they're taking a Dan Marino approach with him. We have an elite quarterback, so why do we need to bother with everything else? Let's just give him more and more weapons, and maybe he'll make something out of nothing. This is the problem with everybody's mentality. You see all these people. You see all these players. You see them on the offensive side of the ball just fine, great. 
The quarterback and wide receiver connection is perfect. No need to improve upon it. But what about everything else? The big picture. It's not this. It's, it, a, a football team is a puzzle. And if you don't have all the pieces in place, you cannot succeed. That's why the Seahawks and the Patriots, they're constantly competing and they're making things happen. Despite all apparent odds, they have pieces in place that make the whole puzzle come together. The Colts have only parts of it. They have their quarterback. They have the wide receiver. They added a running back this, this offseason. They still don't have a defense. They still don't have an offensive line. So when the Colts go to the playoffs, and I say when because obviously every year is a free trip to the playoffs. I mean, who's going to stop them? Jacksonville, give me a break. So when they go to the playoffs, and I'm already going to assume that the Patriots are going to make the playoffs, whether it's wild card or whatever, where they're going to get in the playoffs. They always seem to. When they get into the playoffs, and when Andrew Luck runs into uh, Tom Brady again, I think we all know how this is going to go all over again. Every single time that the Colts and the Patriots have met in the playoffs, or any time for that matter, it has been a complete beatdown by the New England Patriots. They have made the Colts look like fools. They made Andrew Luck look like a fool because they exposed the weaknesses to the utmost degree. They had no defense. They couldn't stop LeGarrette Blunt. They couldn't stop anybody. And they, were, they couldn't protect their quarterback. But for some reason, the Colts get credit for having Andrew Luck because he's Andrew Luck. But you see the problem with Tannehill at this point. Tannehill has a better supporting cast than Andrew Luck. I'm going to say that right now. Because you know what? Tannehill does have a defense. Tannehill does have a running game because Lamar Miller is better than people are giving him credit for. But he still doesn't have the one missing puzzle piece. The puzzle piece that makes a team happen. He still doesn't have an O-line. And that is a weakness that people will expose over and over and over again. And I don't even have a problem with somebody calling Tannehill somebody who needs support. Who doesn't need support if your name is not Aaron Rodgers or someone like that? You need that help. You need to be a puzzle. A team is a puzzle. If you don't have all the pieces in place, it's going to look unfinished, and you're going to flop when the time comes. The Colts are going to go to the playoffs already. They're going to go to the playoffs. I'm sure of that. But they're not going to win no Super Bowl without all the pieces in place. They don't have it. If Dan Marino can't win a Super Bowl with half a puzzle, with uh, only certain parts of the puzzle, what makes anybody think Andrew Luck is going to be able to? He has even less going for him. So, hooray. Let's, let's all give Andrew Luck a cookie. He made it to the playoffs every year of his career. First of all, he has nothing to fight against. And second of all, he falls apart when it counts. Why? They don't have a whole team. They gave him all the weapons he could possibly ask for, but he still doesn't have a team. I want a cookie. Go get a cookie. I'll t- I'll, Duke and I will take over for you for a minute. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the offer. I think uh, one thing. I think one thing is just it's kind of fueled by some of the media. It is just the fans. Is, Miami's not had a quarterback for so long. I mean, they've had to watch. And, you know, Keith, you were around back in the day, and Dawson fans a lot, you were around back in the day. I mean, it seemed like every single day on the site there was a Chad Heaney debate. Um, he he was the greatest. He's not the greatest. It, it was one of those deals every single day. Um, it, 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 to me, it, it's, it's a similar situation to what you see. Uh, you read on these things on Facebook or whatever. 
a little bratty kid that uh, wants an iPod or an iPhone or whatever for Christmas, and the parents get him one, but it's the wrong color, and they complain about it. Um, Miami's not had a quarterback for so long, and they finally get one that's good, and they complain because he's not as good as someone else. Um, you know, it just baffles me. Um, but if you, you put know, Andrew Luck on this Dolphins team, they win the Super Bowl. I believe that. I, I mean, I think I mean Tannehill, and let's not. And that's not even a knock on Tannehill. Don't get that idea. He's. I mean, he's but, got some areas he needs to improve on besides the deep ball. Um, yeah, you know we we've covered that. He's got some areas he needs to improve on. Since one, um, uh, he needs to develop better pocket awareness. He he's improved in that regard. Um, right. Some things like that. I would say some decision making. I I think maybe it was a Mike Sherman deal. It seems like that he he could do some of the same things that Russell Wilson does with his legs, but he took, chooses not to. He prefers to stay in the pocket. Now I did read a. A report, a Bleacher Report article about Russell Wilson that said, you know, this past season he tended to take off a little too much and he left some plays on the field that he could have made with his arm because he, he panicked in the pocket and decided to run with it. But, uh, you know, I think Tannehill could do some areas like that. But if you read uh, some of the stuff, it's kind of like Tannehill's a bottom of the bottom echelon quarterback. He's, he's easily replaceable. And I think Anybody that thinks he's easily replaceable needs to look at the last 15 years of Miami Dolphins football and tell me he's easily replaceable. Name one person that has been drafted since then that you can say, that I guarantee he's better than Tannehill. You can't. I remember when he was drafted, we, we had a podcast. Oh, we should have waited until 2013 and got Landry Jones or Matt Barkley. And where are they at? I mean, that, that's, that, that's the thing. Everybody's, oh, well, we could draft Mariota. He'll be better than Tannehill. Well, you don't know that. Chances are he probably won't be. I mean, I don't know. The uh, it's just you know appreciate what you have. You know, he he's got a few years to prove if he's going to get better or or not. If he doesn't, well, you know, we try. But so you got to start giving him the puzzle pieces. Well, I mean, the counter, they're going to work on that. Um, to counter, yeah, they well, already have. I mean, if you really think about it, we've still got Mike Pouncey. They re-signed him. They brought in Brandon Albert. They drafted Juwan James. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the center core pieces, when you're talking about the O-line, let's get it straight. We're talking about the unsurety at the guard position. That's really what our weakness is. And, yeah, it's a, and big, it's a big weakness, bro. Dallas Thomas, please, give me a break. Yeah, but but I can almost guarantee you that by the middle of the season, well, by the quarter of the season, Dallas Thomas is not going to be our starting guard at any of the positions. I can pretty much tell you this. One thing you have to realize is that Luck's offense requires him to have the O-line in place the way that it's not set up because he is going to take the shots to T.Y. Hilton. He is going to take the shots to Andre Johnson. He is going to take the shots to, um, what the heck is that guy they drafted last year's name? Philip Dorsett. No, Dante Moncrief. Dante Moncrief. And he is going to have to take the shots to Philip Dorsett. You know, that's a lot of speed on that team. So he's going to need to take a little bit longer to do that. 
our offense revolves around the short to intermediate passes. This is why I've never, ever taken heed to the long pass debate because the, the West Coast offense that we've run, it's not a primary, you know, you don't use it to open up the run. You don't do this. You don't do that. You basically use those short intermediate passes and you get the yards after carry. So those three places in place, are going to cover a lot of the guards' weaknesses until we find two. And we really don't know what we have in Evan Turner because he got hurt. We really don't know what we have in Jameel Douglas. Billy Turner. You know, yeah, Billy Turner and Jameel Douglas. We don't know what we have in those guys yet. We just know they aren't Evan Mathis, so we don't think we have the guard position settled. Bottom line is this, all right, and the biggest secret weapon that we have is John Benton. All right, and not only that, but every single player on the O-line that we do have fits the mold of exactly what we're trying to run in that in that zone blocking scheme. They're mobile, they're quick, and they're agile. Jameel Douglas, okay, he's got a few knocks on him, but tell me placing him between Brandon Albert and a motivated Pouncey who's trying to change his reputation nowadays is not going to change anything because you know what? They're not going to let him sit back on his heels because you know why? They're tired of watching their quarterback getting sacked 50 times a season. All right? There's a lot of controversy about the O-line and the media and everything else. And what happens when there's a lot of controversy? The team tends to unite, and that's when they play their best football. Pouncey they can unite or they can split, man. They split last year. They split last year because the players quit. But that they brought in since last year even aren't the quitting type. You see Jarvis Landry. You see Juwan James. You see this. I just want to do what I can do for this team. Agreed. You, know, you said it so yourself. The wide receivers – all of them are saying we need to make our quarterback look good. You don't think that that's not happening in the offensive line room now? We don't have incognito trying to hold team meetings in the strip club anymore. You know, <laughs> we have guys that are sitting there. I mean, look at the linebackers. We brought in Kelvin Shepard, all right? I'm higher on this guy than most, okay? He's average at best, but you know what he is? He's a person that knows how to lead. When have you ever seen all of our linebackers sitting there in the offseason practicing together? You know, the same thing's happening with the O-line. John Benton knows how to turn stardust into stars. That's what he does. That's why we brought him over. That's what he did for Houston. And look at what happened. The very first season that he's a coach with not one, not two, not three, not four, but five different players to start the season and then just basically musical chairs for the rest of it created a 4,000-yard passer and a 1,000-yard rusher in a single season. So all this talk about how we don't have an O-line, okay, well, it's not settled yet, but we may have at least one guard on the team. I mean, we brought in like, what, five or six different guards over the last two seasons that are young impressionable, and pretty much want to prove that 
what the draft picks said about them isn't true. So to say we don't have an O-line, we do have more in place than, say, Indy. But even better than that, we've got a system in place now that we actually kind of condemn Philbin for not having, you know, which is basically like you need to learn how to eat, breathe, sleep, and bleed for this team. Look at Pouncey. Pouncey, okay, he said it so far, but if you take a look at it, him and his brother are going to probably take strides to finish to up their rep. And before, when he was just playing around, he was still considered one of the top centers in the league. Now that he's taking the game serious, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go out there and he's going to play football. He's going to let those guards know, hey, this is a job. You need to do what you need to do. I know what it means to play around. He he's gonna earn that contract they just gave him because they gave it to him. So to say we don't have an O line, I don't think that's necessarily true. And just because the guards aren't Evan Mathis or whoever right now doesn't mean that they aren't in place right now. It may take them a little while to get off the ground, but hey, it took a few games for Landry to become the guy that he is. We could at least give them that before we sit there and say that they belong in the dumpster with the rest of our O-lines of the past. You know, that's, well, that's all I really... You got a really good point up about Landry. And I, we mentioned this at the beginning of the offseason. <clears throat> they brought in Greg Jennings because he, he's a consummate pro. He knows how to... He can teach some of these younger receivers and things, but... After the 2013 Bullygate stuff, it seemed like that they wanted to bring in leaders and meet leaders. And now what they've done is they've they've developed homegrown leaders. Um, you know, we mentioned guys that would run through the wall for Tannehill. Well, Brandon Albert's one of those guys. And while he was a free agent, you've got guys like Pouncey, who the Dolphins drafted. You've got Juwan James, who the Dolphins drafted. These guys were leaders. Uh, I'm, I'm big on Billy Turner. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him at all. I think he's can be a leader. You've got guys like Rashad Jones, Jelani Jenkins. These are guys that can be leaders. You've got Cameron Wake, who has been with the team a long time. He's a leader. Uh, you've got Tannehill. You've got Jarvis Landry, who I, I said then was going to be that the receiver room now belonged to him, and it still does. Even though Jennings is the, the veteran, he's the pro, Jarvis Landry is the heart and soul of that room, and the young receivers are going to do what he wants them to do. He's going to drive them to greatness. Um, and uh, we talked about that with some of the draftees. I think his his demeanor is going to be, become contagious with guys like Kenny Stills, with guys like Devontae Parker. They're going to see how hard he works. I mean, uh, it was funny. I watched uh, Greg Likens do an interview with, with Jarvis Lander. He said, yeah, he's going to take some time off, all this stuff to rest his body up, and it was like the next day I read, oh, he's working out with Chris Chambers. So I was like, yeah, he's, he's not really taking time off. Um, They've got some homegrown leaders now on this team. They don't have to necessarily go out and, and draft leaders or, I mean, uh, sign free agent guys like that. So I think they've kind of turned that thing around, and now they've got they've got a leader in their quarterback that people believe in. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I think that's a good point you made is that they've got some of these young guys that are driven, that want to do great, and 
it kind of goes against some of that free agent mentality that we've had where we've had guys that sign big money contracts and they play okay, but they're not really driven to to make themselves better. I mean, I don't care how good you think Mike Wallace is or even Brian Hartline. Did you see them as guys who drove themselves to become better, um, <clears throat> like a Jarvis Landry does? So um, I think they've got the right pieces in place for that. You know, I, I really think that these assistant coaches are going to do great things with the young guys that we have. Benton, Duffner, you know, that's why I never really worried about the, the linebacker spot. Mark Duffner, look at what he did in Jacksonville, look at what he did in Green Bay. You know, he, he, he put some good squads together. He didn't do good in his head coaching stint when he was coaching in college. But at the same time, like Jacksonville, one of their strengths while he was coaching for them was their linebackers. One of the strengths for Green Bay has always been their linebackers. I mean, of course, they have who they have, but, you know, we have who we have. And some of these guys can be molded into the type. That's why I'm not worried about the McCains or I'm not worried about the Kelvin Shepherds. Because in all honesty, I think, that Kelvin Shepard was an underrated puzzle as well. I mean, team wasn't before he joined the team. The team wasn't sitting there practicing together in the offseason. You didn't see them working out on the beach and everything else. You know, these are qualities that people seem to overlook because oh, Mike Wallace isn't here to catch the deep ball. Oh my God, we're not going to run for a thousand yards. Um. Mike Wallace had nothing to do with our running game. He didn't block for the running back. You know, he was inconsistent on catching the passes. So, I mean, really, what did he do? He provided a decoy, but that was about it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's just about. I think we thought this particular part of it, too. Oh. So, so let me know when you guys want me to go off about the other thing I'm angry about because I'm still angry. <laughs> I I can't believe that you didn't just just start. I think uh, and now is as good a time as ever to um. I you bottled it up this long. I hope you didn't damage your your intestines uh as, as a result. So yeah yeah man, just um just put it out there. Consider this like a almost therapy session. Let's hear it. So, okay, what was it that Dolphin Fan for Life was bringing up? Oh, yeah, the um, the quarterback rankings. So he didn't want to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway simply because I had somewhat of an experience with these rankings the other day. Okay, so here's the story. So I've been listening to the Finn Sides of NF the other day, and Greg Greg Likens goes off and uh, he talks. He he gives us the rankings. This is where Tannehill was, according to Ron Jaworski of ESPN, that he was ranked number 17 overall in the NFL. So he's saying that okay, that's not so bad. Fine, whatever. You see the other guys that are underneath him. You see Cam Newton underneath him. That's actually kind of a shocking thing to me because I personally, if you wanted to flip a coin and do Cam Newton or Ryan Tannehill, I would honestly take either of them because Cam is a lot better than people are giving him credit for. But I, I, I tweeted out to the Finsiders, and they read the thing on air. I said that 
it's fine until you realize that for some reason, once again, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton is ranked above him. And all I can think to myself is, how does Dalton keep coming up and getting ranked higher than Tannehill? And once again, we have to come back to the whole idea of the only the only crime that Ryan Tannehill has committed as a, as the Dolphins quarterback so far, other than the deep ball problem, it's been that he hasn't gotten to the playoffs. And that's the only thing that Dalton has done somehow with his team around him that the Dolphins have not. Never mind the fact that Dalton's gotten bumped out of the uh, the playoffs every year that he's been there in the first round. He hasn't has he even gotten past the first round yet? I don't think he has. So once again, hooray! Go go give Dalton a cookie. He got to the playoffs four times. Yeah, with uh, a top wide receiver at the helm, great running backs, one of the top offensive lines in football, and of course the defense who knows what they're doing. So. Congratulations, Andy Dalton. Your Bengals have made it to the playoffs. What are you going to do next? I'm going to get bumped out in the first round. What are you going to do? So, and then this isn't. That's not even the story. That's not even the part of the story. So I mention this to them, and they read it, and then I get this random dude out of nowhere, who I've never met before, start telling me about how Dalton is how the how Ryan Tannehill should be where he's at because he's average. And, okay, so I'm going to give it an attempt. Let me try to educate this man. Look, man, they, Dalton's had this bet. He has this, he has this, he has this. And Tannehill does not. And the thing that drives me crazy more than anything else, here it came, it, it, it came, it came out. This is what happened. He said no excuses. Your record is what you are. You're average. And it's like, oh, you're doing it. He's doing it. I, the one thing I hate more than anything else, he's doing it. Quarterbacks win losses. It's not a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. But it's so easy to say it because it makes everybody money. It's not a thing. And I and I tried a couple more times. Like, are you serious, man? Look at what he has. Look at what Tannehill does not have. And he said he's telling me how Dalton led the 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 Bengals to four straight playoff games. And then this other dude decides to chime in and say that pretty much the same thing, reaffirming this. Yeah, man, the Dalton led the play, the Bengals to four different things. And, yeah, the, the Bengals believe in Dalton, and he's led them to victories before. It's like, oh, my God. It's like I, I had to bow out because I would have lost my mind if I had tried to stay in there. Because well, I got to say, you didn't, over, you didn't oversell how upset you were. I haven't heard uh, an eruption like that since the last 15 minutes of the exorcist. So that was good. Uh, I'm surprised you even bothered to educate people anymore. And I mean, that's just your typical Twitter, Twitter tough guy. I mean, they're a dime a dozen. I can go find a couple right now. Or let the guy, uh, all the people who are talking about how, uh, I found a lot of those people coming out with the whole, uh, JJ Watt, uh, Aaron Rodgers debate with the, uh, the MVP last year. And just talking about how, because Houston didn't make the playoffs, JJ Watt should have been exempt from voting, and because he wasn't a quarterback. Well, let's just call it most valuable quarterback then. And if it, the playoffs are a criteria, stipulation, mm-hmm. make sure you add that in there. Because otherwise, then you're just you're looking at it the wrong way. Well, he, yeah, Houston didn't make the playoffs. They were in it the last day. 
I think I think because Baltimore won, it knocked Houston out. The guy, how many quarterbacks did Houston have this year? Four, I think. None of them very good. And they somehow Ryan Fitzpatrick was a top ten quarterback with QB rating. <laughs> I can't yeah, even I mean, that's, a, that's a that's a problem to itself, but. Uh, and that team almost got into the playoffs, and it is not for any other reason but J.J. Watt. So if you can't find a bigger or a better definition of the most valuable player, I'm sorry, I can't help you. So a lot of these trolls came out of the woodwork with that whole that whole argument. And, I mean, at first you're just like, well, I, I'm going to go ahead and try to assert my own opinion in here. But then after a while, I mean, I just lose complete interest. It is an absolute fruitless, pointless, thankless, uh, endeavor. It doesn't go anywhere. So, but I mean, I agree. One thing I want to do because we're kind of coming up, we're inside 20 minutes left. I want to go to uh, what I believe is the heart of Texas. Kevin, is that you? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> hey, uh, if we're all hey, you guys who don't know, uh, Kevin is coming down off of a two week uh, bender following the Lamarcus Aldridge signing. So, finally, now <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> He's regained consciousness. How, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm ready for football season to actually start. See, I don't even want it to start. I just want to keep talking about it and talking about beat writers <laughs> and just talking, talking about how Ryan Tannehill Pan- sucks. I don't even need that. It does make for some really good shows with the anger, I think. Oh, it, it does. I mean, you, this is... if, if Dan Marino were good enough, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about the 1972 perfect season or something. Ah. I don't know. See, someone's <laughs> going to hear that and think you're being serious. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the issue. Like, I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to make jokes about it because people aren't going to recognize the sarcasm because I'm, I'm an excellent <laughs> straight man when it comes to making jokes. I think so. At least I think it's one of, it's one of my few talents in life. Like I can, I can usually put something out there and completely confuse people. And then it backfires on you when you say it in a, in a uh, a format like this, and people think like, "Well, wait a second, he can't. Why is he saying this about my my favorite player?" No, relax. Dan Marino is my childhood <laughs> idol. Uh, not much has changed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, who needs the season when when we can just talk about this forever? And um, well, if, I'll tell if you, Harvard is correct. Well, and if you all read the article I posted today, if Harvard's correct, we don't need this season. I'll take an AFC no. championship and lose in the Super Bowl. I'm okay with that because that means we're on the right uh, track. Well, not to uh, take a page from Bill Simmons, but, I mean, I stole this joke from him and i got to give him credit. But suppose in some fantasy land, well, suppose we go to the Super Bowl this year. So say we win it. Does Ryan Tannehill have a custom jersey with two middle fingers sewn onto the back? No, but I think that he immediately gets put into the Ring of Honor because he did something Danny didn't do. Because Danny wasn't good enough. Yeah. See, we're right back to that. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you see, you, you bring this on yourself, though. If Brian Tanzel <laughs> wins the Super Bowl, he needs to go to any restaurant he wants to in Miami and order everything on the menu and, and, and just eat it and enjoy it because he will never have to pay for it ever again. <laughs> and put the bill on Omar Kelly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it'll be on the house. But one point I wanted to make with all this is that even if that did happen, you'd have people out there saying he's not good enough. They just wanted to see the oh, Super Bowl winning quarterback. So, I mean, this is why it's just pointless. It'll never end. I'm going to use an example for, for when he, you know, I've listened to 
to the, the Lewis smash there for a minute and um, <clears throat> talking about, you know, arguing with someone about quarterback wins. It's like my mom was a school teacher, and she had some students one time, and they weren't paying attention. They weren't trying to learn. They were just being, you know, you know, disrupted in class, whatever. She, you know, she's trying to talk to them, like, don't you want to learn? Don't you want to make something out of yourself? And their response is pretty much like, well, you know, somebody has to work at McDonald's. That was kind of the way their attitude on life was. So when you start listening to some of these these people say this stuff, if Tannehill wins the Super Bowl and, he, and he's not good enough, or these people say, oh, it's all, all about QB wins, just realize that they're the people that just want to work at McDonald's. They don't want whenever, they don't want to enhance themselves in life. They don't want to learn football knowledge. They just want to stay at the you know minimum wage table. So let whenever them. I see a, a, like an that. internet troll on yeah. Twitter, <laughs> whenever I see a troll, go ahead, finish it. I was gonna say that's just they get the, the nod and smile principle. You you smile at them, nod your head, and just you know let it go, man. If Ryan yeah. Tannehill. Wins a Super Bowl. From now on, Dan Marino has to put together every IKEA purchase that Ryan Tannehill ever makes. <laughs> can, can we get him to sign off on this? The one thing I want to mention is these people online, these people on Twitter. Anytime I see somebody saying something completely ridiculous, it could be about the Dolphins, it could be political. I mean, whatever. I always imagine them as uh, Brian. Uh, that jerk uh, from uh, from Office Space, the one who has like what thirty eight pieces of flair or whatever. <laughs> he's in. He's given. He's, he's, he's like, hey, hey, you two, get a room. And he's giving him the finger in the parking lot. That's what these people to me look like. They they just look like complete idiots. And I, so one thing I want to propose, and I think this needs to happen. I don't know what channels they need to go through to make it happen. Uh, I think some of our best players need to come out to their own WWE theme music. I think that I, I like the whole thing where the whole team runs out, but honestly, I would pay money if every Sunday in Miami you had Ryan Tannehill coming out to like Hulk Hogan's theme song with the Rick da- the ridiculous Rick Derringer song from the eighties, or <laughs> you name it. So, I, so you want to come have baseball walk up music? No. Yeah. Coming out to the Undertaker theme. Sue coming out to the I think he's got, thing. Yeah, that'd be fine. Or uh, he could Hill needs to do the exact stone cold routine. Uh, just just put a turnbuckle out in the middle of the field, throw him a couple of cores of light, and just let him go. <laughs> that, that's what he needs to do. Fuck oh, off. Here's the Lakers would come out to the Rick Flair thing. Yeah. Someone would come out to the Ultimate Warriors. I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to take to go ahead and license these things. Uh, I would envision, uh, the only thing is that it can't be nice sounding. And the one, I mean, I absolutely love baseball. It's one of my favorite sports. One of the things I never really understand is when you got some of these guys who come to bat and their music's like some sort of like happy Caribbean music. No, don't use that. Don't come out there and sound like you, I'm on a carnival cruise line. I don't want to hear that. I want, I, I want you to step up to the plate and pretty much let everyone know that you're going to kill someone. That's all I want to know. So I don't want any sort of pleasant, no major melodies. I don't want to hear any of that crap. I would just want doom with these guys. So you don't want to see, you don't want to hear Indominus, you don't want to hear Indominus come out to Wrecking Ball? 
<laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> have you guys ever heard of it? I do have one question I need everybody's opinion on. And sure. it was the whole um, Andre Johnson wanted to come to Miami, but Miami didn't call. Do you think we passed up an opportunity, or do you think we just no. were better with Jennings? I think we're no, better, and I, yes, I we're better with Jennings. Better I think we should have gone with Jennings in 2013. I mean, that, I don't mean to bring that up in a I told you so manner, but I was definitely in his camp for the reason that he just – I understand that players are can go ahead and uh, escape any of the trappings or limits placed by certain offenses, but Greg Jennings in our, in our offense is just glove in hand. It should have happened in uh, the first place when he was a free agent two years ago. I know he wanted a well, lot hang, of money. Well, hang on, Keith. What, now we have Lasers' offense. Would he have fit more in Mike Sherman's offense? No, I don't think so, because it's still a get-it-out-fast offense. So, really, you're looking for these guys. If he can run crisp routes and he's got the hands and he can do work in traffic, I think that he's a gamer. And he's multidimensional. He can go deep if you want him to. He's not, he's not like a guy who's built like a heartline where it's like, okay, you're just going to work underneath or I need you to work the sidelines. Or, you know, maybe if you're, if you're fortunate, we'll go ahead and give you a, a post route or something. I mean, he can do pretty much anything you need within reason. So I think that I would even so, go so far as to say is uh, he fits Laser's offense just as well, if not better. Because it opens him up more. I felt with Sherman's offense, it was just like, it just felt like everything was just in a box all the time. I'm going to refer back to, to Oscar uh, again uh, because I saw a tweet that he put out about uh, Johnson, and I agree with it. If Johnson really wanted to come to Miami, he would have called the team and offered them a hometown discount. It, it's that simple. Don't sit here and say, well, they never called me. If you wanted to play for them, you would have, you you know you would have made a call. Uh, I mean, look at the contracts. Look what they paid for Johnson. Look what they paid for Jennings. Was, would Johnson have come to Miami for what they're paying Jennings? Probably not. So you know, unless he was willing to take that big hometown discount, you know, just just just, just uh, keep quiet and going back to business in Indianapolis. I think the Dolphins. One thing I wasn't realize the Dolphins also realized that this is a one-year deal. This is get a veteran in there to solidify everything, and by next year, Jarvis Landry is the leader of the group. And you have uh, you have Greg Jennings on that one-year deal. I know it's two years, but on that one-year deal, really. Andre Johnson's going to be looking for something more than just a one-year hold-em-over deal. So, yeah, I don't think he's paying for that. Would it be awesome to have – Johnson down there running around in the end zone? Absolutely, but I don't think that it's a move that the Dolphins are going to sit back and regret. And I know that, I think it was PFT or somebody in their article about the situation wrote that if the Dolphins or if Johnson becomes an all-pro again and looks like one of the top receivers in the league, that the Dolphins will regret having never called him. And okay, does that mean that let's say 20 teams didn't call him? Do they all regret not calling him? Because I'm sure if he, they had all paid him what he wanted, he'd go there too. I mean, it, it, it's a weird sentence and it's a weird statement. Did he? Would he, would any player that grew up in Miami want to play for Miami? Probably, 
if the money's right, if the situation's right. So I, I, I understand what Johnson was saying, but I think that a lot more was made of it that, oh, he was dying to play for the Dolphins, and they just stiff-armed him and never even tried to call him. He would have walked in there for a dollar. And it, I don't you think know, that I, was the situation at all. I kind of, I, kinda, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. I kind of like the fact that they passed on him because it means that they're committed to getting yeah. a specific type of receiver in there. And I fully believe, I'm not really into comparing players too often, but I mean, I'm just going to break that rule right now. I really do see Jarvis Landry as Greg Jennings 2.0. Their games are so similar, it's almost, almost disturbing. I think that, uh, and they, they're both, I mean, what, four or five guys? Uh, time speed, but they play a lot faster than that. I always thought that Greg, I was surprised when I heard that Greg Jennings was a 4-5 guy, because I remember when he started up with the Packers in 2006, I thought he looked like easily a 4-4 guy. I mean, he played quick. I mean, the guy is just absolute lightning in and out of his break. So, uh, I think that, I mean... can measure 4-3 in shorts, and then they put the pads on, and it jumps down to a 4-4 or a 4-5 or a 4-4-5 in itself. So, I mean, yeah, I've read it as a game guys, feed. Uh, Everyone knows pretty, that. And I think yeah, the whole thing with Jarvis Landry. Go on, Duke. One at a time. I was gonna say the whole thing with Jarvis Landry. I think he ran a four five something at his pro day. Uh, he did say that during the combine, he did he either had or suffered a hamstring injury while there, and he, his official time was four seven something. However, those official times were never really right. Uh, Usually what the NFL Network puts out there is usually more correct. Uh, I hand-timed him myself in the 4-6 range, uh, watching back on some videos. So, you know, I would think he's probably – the whole idea that, well, he's 4-7, he's slow, I think it's just misconception. I I, I think he's really – he's faster than that. Uh, just based on all just based on all the other stuff that was out there, information about it. I'm positive he's not a liar. No, no, no. But as much as Ryan Tannehill will benefit from all these weapons coming in, I think Jarvis Landry benefits almost as much because I think that guy is a I think that guy is a true special talent. And I think now you're taking even less pressure off of him than he had as a rookie. I mean, you know, more room to work. He's willing to do the dirty stuff underneath. Uh, he, that his game speed is fantastic. He can get deep if you need him to, and he did plenty of that at LSU when he uh, when he had that tandem going with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. So I remember when he came out of uh, when we went into that 2014 draft. The book on uh, on Jarvis Landry was uh, high level route runner, outstanding hands, will make the grab every time. That sounds like Greg Jennings because I, I like when they did that interview with Greg Jennings and he said that he was looking at all of uh, all the young receivers and he said that first thing he knows with guys like Devontae Parker is just how they catch. That's the first thing he looks. He's like, you got to catch the ball. Again, what a novel concept with these guys. So the hands are there. You have to catch the ball? Like, even on the deep routes, do you have to catch the ball? You can't just you can let, catch it with it your face, your if possible. You get oh, more points okay. if you catch it with your face mask, if it goes in, like, the little opening. That is, that, that, <laughs> that is probably true. Like, that would explain a lot of things. That would understand. That would basically tell you why the I Patriots lost at Super Bowl. I think when you look at the wide receivers this year. You have Greg Jennings there as the veteran. You have Jarvis Landry ready to step up another year of experience, goes into his third year as the number one guy, not a number one receiver, but the leader of the group. 
you have Devontae Parker who get the year of experience not having to be the number one guy, not having to be the top choice, not having to be the star. And as long as Kenny Stills continues to, one, take the top off the of defense, and two, proves that he and Tannehill can get on the same page, I think in 2016 you're looking at Landry, Parker, Stills, and then if Richard Matthews can handle being the fifth guy this year or fourth guy this year, whenever Parker comes back, you have him step in as that fourth guy, or you go out and get another guy. So or Matt Hazel. Without Johnson, even without Johnson, you're, you're having a wide receiver core that's very young and is coming together, and that's what you need with Tannehill because you don't need the veterans that are going to every year disappear. You need receivers that are going to be there, build that chemistry with Tannehill, keep it together for as long as you can, and let them go and rip it. I'm still waiting for Chip Kelly to be willing to trade Jordan Matthews for a bag of pizza combos. I really <laughs> want that guy. Yeah. I, I was going to say that. I think that if this uh, receiver core uh, balls out the way I expect, that Rashad Matthews is uh, might be looking for custodial work at some point. Because, I mean, this, I think – uh, one thing I want to mention, uh, and we're coming up on about, we got like two and a half minutes left. Uh, you don't see a lot of people talking about Kenny Stills. I think if everything goes the way that I think it will with this receiver core, I think that guy's the X factor because he's got lethal speed. He's an outstanding router. He kind of does everything. And at some point, some guy's going to go ahead and get under the radar. I mean, Landry's building up more cred as a receiver. I think that he's going to get some attention. X-Factor, or actually Devontae Parker is going to get plenty of attention just because, you know, the big body can do everything. Something's got to give. And that doesn't even count uh, Jordan Cameron, and uh, who's that big yep. body red zone type. Uh, if what can make plays in Miller space. And the backfield. Yeah, and Greg Jennings. So something's got to give. And I think that I just look at Kenny Stills, that 4-3 speed, the elusiveness, the ability to route to run routes like a champ. I think he's the one who really does a lot of damage this year. I think you have with Kenny Stills that he he's that fast guy, and everybody's going to immediately go, "Well, Tannehill struggles with the deep ball," but Stills Wallace Wallace had great speed, but he couldn't react to the ball in air. If he tried to react to the ball in air, he lost his speed. He slowed down a step trying to adjust. From what I've seen of Kenny Stills, he can make those adjustments on the fly. So even if Tannehill is a little bit inaccurate, you have a receiver now that can make that adjustment and go get the ball. So I do. I think that they're going to connect more. Is it going to be freaking every drive you're seeing a 50-yard bomb? No. But I think you're going to see it more. And I think that the offense is going to come out and look to prove we can go deep on you. Yeah, and not only that, the first thing that's going to happen when takes notice, is they're going. Defenses are going to press up, play the underneath stuff. Kenny Stills is going to blow past everybody. Ten Hill is going to hit him for a, a deep play, possibly a touchdown. And that's when they're. And that's when the opposition is going to have the oh crap face. It, it's going to happen. <laughs> well, they should have the oh crap face already because this receiver core already has the best haircut game in the history of the NFL. <laughs> It's just oh it's outstanding. It's like it's it's like the movie Barber Barbershop with these guys. I freaking love it. I cannot wait for these guys to just like take their helmets off every time. All right, that's just no time left. I want to thank all of our guests. Kevin, thanks for calling in. 
uh, from your yep. bender. Uh, I'm sorry about your hangover. Uh, Duke, Angry Lewis, and uh, Dolphin fans for life. Good to hear from you guys. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.